Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. According to our Gregorian calendar, this is Pentecost Sunday today. Amen. Uh, celebrated by the Jews, of course, would have been uh, last week, I believe it is sometime. But uh, nonetheless, 50 days past Passover is Pentecost. Uh, whenever Peter preached that sermon about the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, and then people were pricked in their heart about what they must do to be saved. And he said those famous words that we know of in Acts 2 of repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive uh, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We're thankful for that today, aren't we? Amen. We're thankful for that today. If you've ever heard uh, the word apostolic, uh, we're first apostolic church. That's because we teach and believe what the first apostles taught and believed and was purported to believe uh, that they received from Jesus Christ. And if you ever hear someone say they're Pentecostal, they're talking about that Pentecostal experience on the day of Pentecost, that repentance, that infilling of the Holy Ghost, that being baptized in Jesus' name. And so this is Pentecost Sunday. It's a big thing. Amen. In reality, we're thankful for the birth of the church on that day. However, we're going to turn to Jonah chapter number three this morning. And, and just for your awareness, we are short staffed today. There will be no scriptures on the screen. So I hope you have your handy dandy Bible uh, with you. If you don't uh, use a phone or iPad or whatever type of uh, surely you have a Bible there. If not, you can just listen to my voice. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Chapter number three, it's 10 verses. It's a little bit more lengthy, perhaps than normal. Uh, but I want to read it in its totality to you this morning. We're glad to have uh, Becky Warren with us today. Uh, just newly moved into the St. Francis. Francisville area, and so we want to make her welcome this morning. Amen. And it's grateful that she has come to worship. Amen. With us, and Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. At one, I guess she comes here actually from Florida, but at one time she was in the Crawfordsville, Indiana area and went to church at Pastor Gobin's up there. And uh, he said that he won her to the Lord. So, uh, you know, I got great faith in Pastor Gobin, but we're appreciative of her, amen, being here with us. So please make her feel at home today. Jonah chapter number three, I'm going to begin with verse number one. That's a great place to start. Amen. The Bible says, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time saying, and it was a few weeks ago we talked about that second time arise go unto Nineveh that great city and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee so Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and said yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown everybody say overthrown Amen. That word also can mean overturned. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed the fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, 
taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water. So we're talking about a fast for everyone, including animals. All right. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. So both man and animals are covered with sackcloth as well. And cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? And turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. The last verse, here we are. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. For a little while this morning, I want to talk to us along this line of thought. Being overturned can stop at a turnaround. Being overturned can stop at a turn around. Amen. Can we talk to the Lord right now that he would help us in the next few moments? Amen. Of this, this lesson, Bible study this morning. Father, we come to you today. God, we're so grateful, Lord, to be in your house. We're grateful, Lord, that we can gather together and have the freedom and the privilege, Lord, to come here. Lord, to lift up, Lord, voices of praise unto you, to sing songs. I pray, oh, Lord, that adores you. I pray, God, this morning, let your word, Lord, stand aright, God, by itself today. Help it, Lord, to find its place, Lord, of security, Lord, and life. Lord God in our hearts and lives help us God to find Lord Jesus some strength and confidence God through and by your word and we will not fail to thank you Lord for what you accomplished through it in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray and the church say amen amen you may be seated this morning in Jesus name Hallelujah. Jonah chapter number three, and we've been in a series of Jonah. Some, some Sundays we come here and we talk about him, other Sundays we don't. But nonetheless, it doesn't matter if you've been here or not. Jonah chapter number three is filled with repentance. Jonah chapter number three, there is so much repentance going on that it's probably theme would be best described as repentance. Because within Jonah chapter number three, we have this repentance that in this chapter, it's the proving of repentance of a once roaming prophet. Jonah's repentance is proved in chapter number three. It is the practice of repentance from the greatest to the least of a defiant city called Nineveh, which was an enemy of Israel. And so we have that going on. It is also the purposeful repentance of a considerate God. At least that's the way that the word is used in this particular scripture, that God, quote unquote, repented. And he's a considerate God because God would much rather forgive you than have to judge you. And that, that, that's a good rule of thumb overall. Uh, God is, yes, judgment shall come. The judgment that we receive in our lives that we live right now is judgment that's intermixed with mercy. And there is coming a day, uh, that last trump of God when it sounds, when he calls his church away, there will be a day of judgment that will have no mixture of mercy with it. Amen. This is our time of forbearance, our time of long suffering that we have from God. But in all of that, God would much rather forgive you than have to judge you. That is the, really the type of God that we have. That's the reason why appointed unto man there are these 70 years or so that he has upon the earth because that is giving God and you an opportunity to repent and God to forgive, which he would much rather do than for the end of time come and have to pronounce judgment upon your life. And so, yes, we do serve a loving God. 
We do serve a, a God that is more interested in our benefit and our welfare than our demise. And so that's the reason why he gives us these opportunities. But the Bible tells us in Jonah that when the word of the Lord came the second time to Jonah, that I want you to know that when it came that second time, that that was more than just an act of mercy for Jonah. That second time, that second chance was more than a display of grace from God to Jonah. As a matter of fact, we have looked at in previous weeks that the wording that is given here in Jonah 3 is almost exactly like the wording of the first time that God came unto Jonah. And we know according to the story of Jonah that the mission of both these times were the same. He was to go to Nineveh. He was to deliver a message unto the Ninevites. The message and the mission was the same. It's as, as though when we read in Jonah 3, it's as though that God has forgiven given all giving Jonah this second time it's as though that God has hit the reset bone button on Jonah's life and has allowed Jonah just to pick back up again where he left off the, the setting is very similar to hear these words all over again however we must think though that's what it looks like to us as an outsider from the story but I wonder what all that may have looked like a little bit to Jonah because Jonah may have viewed things just a little bit differently Jonah may have viewed things and may have been trying to understand why God would have him back at the very crossroads he had failed at before. Why would God be asking me to go and do something whenever this is the very place, this was the very similar words that he spoke to me the first time, and I failed and I did not carry it out. Jonah may be thinking, God, you know where things went south before. Why in the world you got us right back at this place? What, what makes you think that now is going to be successful where I wasn't successful before? Because this is where God, my weakness won me over before. This is where I didn't come through before. Why, why would you put me right back in that sort of predicament again at this same place with the same mission, the same words, the same message? It's then I believe that we begin as Christians to identify once again with our dear prophet Jonah, right? Have you ever messed up on God and then God seems to put you back in a similar place where you messed up before? And wonder, God, didn't you know that, you know, there's a mark against me here because I've already failed at a place similar to this before. And yet it seems like God would take you back to a similar spot. Amen, God, what's going on? Because we all understand that there's been times in our life that we've messed up a time or two, right? And that repentance was required in order for us to receive the forgiveness of God. Amen. But how do we feel when our reset, right? Maybe God hit the reset button. How do we feel whenever our reset is nothing more but a restart where we last failed? Huh? Really, God? You know, it's kind of like a person, if you fail, and just in life, and I'm not necessarily talking about uh, Christendom, but many times if you fail at something, you know, you get this type of mentality, if I failed before, Right? That's the reason why some people never try again at something they failed at before. Because in the back of their mind they said, I couldn't do it before. So how in the world am I going to do it now? And I'm not saying God has a sick means of humor, but I'm saying that God has more faith in you than you have in yourself. And he'll put a Jonah back in the same predicament, ask the same question with the same mission. 
because God has faith. You know what? I think you can do this. I think you can arise out of the dust and the mire and the failure and the muck, and I think you can go forward with what you failed at before. Someone say amen. Wouldn't you, I mean, here's, here's the thing. Now, God, if, if we could just have a conversation, God, 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 wouldn't you rather, I'd just rather have you fast forward it to a point or a moment just beyond where I last time failed. I'm, I'm sure Jonah's probably thinking, God, do you really have to tell me to go to Nineveh and deliver the message? Couldn't you just set me in Nineveh? Huh? Can you move me just a little past where I last failed you? God, wouldn't it be easier for, for you just to have me to leapfrog over that intersection where I made the mistake, amen, or where I refrained from doing the things that you asked me to do, amen, because it's not, it's not coming real natural to me or easy to me to do that. Couldn't we just move past that and start there? There'd be several of us today that the last place that we failed God, we'd be like, God, just move us beyond that. You know, just you, because you know we had a hard time, just move us beyond that and everything will be well and I'll go on and live for God. But God, in many ways, doesn't operate like that. He puts us right back at a very similar spot and similar position. Someone say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Because whenever we come to God and we repent to God over our past failure, repentance isn't about God never placing us in a similar circumstance. Hold on with me. Repentance isn't about, well, God's never going to place me in a similar circumstance. No. Repentance is about us having turned or changed our minds. Repentance is that about face, that 180 degree turn. It's a change of mind, literal, just literal definition. Change of mind, right? A having turned. Amen. And so when we do that, we turn or we change our minds about how we handled the circumstance the first time. We change our mind about how we handled things the first time. And if we were with, met with it again, if we were faced with it again, we would handle it differently the second time than we did the first time if we truly repented. Someone say amen. Amen. So whenever God takes Jonah... And the word comes to him the second time about going to Nineveh, delivering the message. That isn't God tempting Jonah. That's not God tested, uh, you know, trying to make Jonah a loser, so to speak. No, that's God proving Jonah. Because Jonah's second time, in reality, is a second chance. You know what God's doing? God is proving Jonah's repentance. In Jonah chapter number 2, Jonah begins to say, Lord, I went down into the depths. I did wrong. I did that. And what he's doing is crying. His soul is crying out of how he had done wrong in the sight of God. He is repenting. He's saying, God, I'm going to have a new frame of mind about this. I changed my mind. If I were faced with it again, I wouldn't do what I did before. And so God takes Jonah then. He says, we're going to prove your repentance. We're going to see if you have a change of mind. I'm going to put you in the exact same episode and see if you do differently because if you've done differently then you must be thinking differently about amen it's not God being mean it's just God proving our repentance amen amen because it's that turning I'm sure the apostle Peter can recognize the similarity in Jonah's story in his own life as well Jesus had been in his week of passion, leading up to his passion of crucifixion, Garden of Gethsemane episode. 
Jesus has been apprehended in the garden. The Bible says that Peter followed the Lord afar off and that even Peter followed the Lord into the palace of the high priest of that day. It was there in that setting that the Bible says that as Christ is in and he's being spoken to by Pilate and he's being spoken to by some of the chief priests, the Bible says that Peter sat there in that palace environment and he sat there with some servants, the scripture says, and he warmed himself, this is in your Bibles, he warmed himself by the fire that was in that area. At the same time he is warming himself by the fire in that area, in front of the council, Jesus is being badgered like a witness. All types of different questions are being given to him. For that matter, false witness after false witness is brought in and they are false witnessing against the Lord. They are prating in with their lies, but by the fire, just outside in the courts, is an indifferent true witness Peter. Someone that could really gauge some valid, some valid, I can't even speak. Someone that could really validate who Jesus was. What he could do was just sitting just a little bit outside at the fire. After false witness, after false witness was coming in and speaking against the Lord. And this is what the Bible says in Mark 14. Mark 14 and verse 54. And Peter, this is what I spoke to you, and Peter followed him afar off. Speaking of Jesus, he followed him afar off even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat, this is Peter with the servants, and warmed himself at the fire. Skip down to verse 66. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. The very next verse says, if you look at verse 68, that Peter denied the Lord. Three times in this setting, three times in this scenario of being in and around the fire, the Bible tells us that Peter would deny the Lord until ultimately he would say in verse 71, I know not this man whom ye speak. In other words, I don't know about this Jesus, amen, of Nazareth that you speak of. Jesus needed valid a valid witness, but all he got from Peter was a indifferent follower that said, I don't know the man, right? The Bible says whenever that, the cock crowed for that second time, Peter remembered the words of the Lord because the Lord had told him before it ever happened. He says, you're gonna deny me. You're gonna disown me. You're not, you're not gonna stand for me. Peter says, I won't do that. I'll go with you even to the cross. I'll die for you. And yet he disowned the Lord. He says, I do not know that man. And when he heard that, the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. And between that point of time, amen, and when Jesus finally meets Peter again after the resurrection, Peter somewhere in there had found a place of repentance. In other words, he turned. He decided he had a different mindset, amen, about what he had done. So Peter has changed his mind since then. He has certainly found a place of repentance. But whenever Jesus sees him at Galilee, as he and some of the other disciples are fishing, this was the proving of Peter's repentance. Because it takes place... There is no accidents in scripture. It takes place around another fire. He denied the Lord 
And it was in the scenario of around the fire. And now the proving of his repentance takes place around a fire. A group of the disciples had been fishing all night. They had captured nothing. They had brought nothing into the boat until someone on shore, which happened to be Jesus, that they did not recognize him to be Jesus yet, said, children, do you have any meat? They said, no, we don't have any meat. He says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And when they did, they brought in, the Bible says, a multitude of fish. You can find this in John 21. They brought in a multitude of fish. And finally, I believe it was John that recognized that that's the Lord on the shore. The Bible says whenever he recognized that, Peter recognized that, he jumped out of the boat. He kind of pulled his garments together, jumped out of the boat and, and, and began to swim toward the shore. And whenever he gets to the shore, amen, the Bible says there is a fire and Jesus has some fish on the coals, if you will, of the fire, amen, and they know it is the Lord. Look at it, John 21 and verse nine. As soon then, as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. So around this fire, it's another fire now, the Lord poses unto Peter a question, not once, but three times. How many times did Peter deny the Lord? And it took place around a fire. Now, there's coming three things around the fire to Peter at this moment in time. It's approving of Peter's repentance. Jesus begins to ask Peter. He says, Peter, lovest thou me? Huh? A little later, he says again, Peter, lovest thou me? I'm like, you know, Peter might be saying, Lord, you could have just asked me once and been sufficed. No, I want this to look very similar. To where you last failed me. Because you denied me three times. Now I want to see if you'll own me three times. You didn't know me three times around the fire. Now we're around the fire again, and I want to see if you'll own me. What are you doing? God, are you, what are you, are you making fun of me, God? Are you being mean? No, no. I'm just proving your repentance. I'm seeing if the tears that you wept when you recognized what you recognized was godly sorrow unto repentance. I'm just seeing if you have a change of mind. If you're going to say, sorry, God, I don't love you. I don't know you. I don't accept you. No, no, no. I'm just going to see if you'll own me now when you didn't own me then. Amen. He asked him two more times after the first lovest thou me. And Peter finally told him thou knowest Lord. Amen. I don't know. I wasn't there. Peter may have been a little testy you know. Thou knowest Lord. Huh? <laughs> thou knowest. Verse 17 look at it. Of John 21. Verse 17. The Bible says, even, that Peter was grieved because he, Jesus, said unto him the third time, lovest thou me. The word grieved in the New Testament Greek means sad, sorrowful, or uneasy. Peter was uneasy because the Lord asked the third time if he loved him. <sighs> Peter may be thinking, Lord, it could have been any other question but this question. I mean, you could ask me a multitude of things, but it had to be this question, didn't you? About whether or not I loved you. And for that matter, Lord, why in the world did you have to ask this? Why did it have to be around the fire? Why, why did this have to be asked around the fire? And why did you have to do it three times? 
Because Jesus wants to know, will you love me now when before you wouldn't even acknowledge me? I'm just proving your repentance, Peter. Because sometimes we can say all day we've changed our mind. That we've had a turn. But we're still denying. Well, glory. That's the reason why John the Baptist said, shoe forth works meet for repentance. What's he saying? He said there needs to be a proving of repentance. Because you can't have changed mind without it affecting behavior. John Butler said it like this. He said, where you have failed, you will be tried again to examine the character of your repentance. Jesus isn't being mean unto the apostle Peter. He's simply being thorough. He's simply being thorough. Amen. It may be uneasy for Peter, right? It may be uneasy for Peter, but it's not unnecessary for the Lord. Huh? Peter, hate to tell you, buddy, he's, he's just proving our repentance. Jonah, he's just trying our changed mindset with the second time coming to us. See, there's something special about a man who had re recently, whenever I say man, I'm speaking of Jonah, there's something special about a man who has just recently been a beneficiary of repentance and forgiveness, now turning around and delivering a message of pending judgment to a city that it would come to if things didn't change in 40 days. Something special here. Because you know what he's asking them? He's asking them really with the warning and with the judgment. They understand something needs to alter. Something if, there, if nothing changes. It's going to be overthrown or overturned in 40 days around here. And so here comes a man who's just recently been a beneficiary of forgiveness from his own repentance. That's addressing a group of people that if something doesn't change. They're going to be overthrown. And they're going to be overturned. It will, if you was, a message of judgment, it would seem. But listen to me this morning. The message of judgment doesn't have to be a rod that people are beat with. But it should be a tool that they are coaxed by. No, 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 no. You can take that in 40 days. If things don't change, this thing's going to be overthrown. You can either accept that as, oh, well, they're beating me down. Oh, they're judging me. Or you can look at it through these eyes. Maybe with the warning is coming the coaxing for a different way, a different means, a different reaction, a different path of life. Amen. It's all according to how you view it. Amen. Evidently, Jonah viewed what he got from the Lord through the storm and through being swallowed by a fish that that wasn't God beating him. Him. That was God giving him another chance to repent. Peter must have finally came to terms with it. That that wasn't God being mean to him. That wasn't a rod of judgment as much as it was God coaxing him into a deep relationship with him. It's all about how you view it. We've misunderstood God's mercy sometimes for judgment. We've misunderstood God's grace for judgment. Oh God, here, here, here is my estimation. 
Those that see it as judgment are those that have no, no frame of mind, no inkling inside of them for any alteration of a change of a mind. And that's the reason why they see it as judgment because they don't plan on changing their mind about what they've been doing. But those that see it as mercy and grace, it's those that feel like, you know what? I'm going to change my mindset and my behavior about this. And so whenever God comes warning, they don't see it as judgment. They see it as mercy and grace and a second chance, an outreached hand to help. Amen. Jonah understood it. Storm and the fish wasn't his demise as much as they were for his repentance. And I can't even tell you that had he cried out against Nineveh in chapter 1, that it would have been necessarily vastly different from the way that he cried out, amen, right now in chapter number 3, had he went on and done it in chapter 1. But what I am telling you is this. I believe it probably was or would have been different because before, listen to me just clearly here for a moment, before you'd have heard of Jonah, I believe, that would have felt and you would have heard the fury in his voice. If you don't do something in 40 days, you're going to perish. You're going to be overturned. But now, you're not just hearing from a man that's looking down upon his enemies. You're hearing from a man that has experienced forgiveness from his own repentance. And so he's going to another group of people that are in need of forgiveness. And I tend to believe that Jonah's standing there with strands of a pleading man having experienced forgiveness himself. And he said, if you don't in 40 days, you're gonna be overthrown. Can someone say amen? Hallelujah. Somehow we excel at letting certain things flow to us and not allowing them to flow through us. Someone say amen. amen. I'd hope that it would be different. But as I know the whole story of Jonah, I assume that it probably wasn't different. Because I really know how Jonah felt about, as I move on to chapter 4, about the Ninevites and about the people and about God being merciful and gracious to them. He should allow the same forgiveness that flowed through to him, flow through him. He should have realized that just as he was in a place needing repentance and they are in a place of needing repentance, although he received it, that Nineveh should just be a candidate as well for receiving the same forgiveness that he got. But sometimes in our life, we believe that we should get what we get from God and there's others that shouldn't get. We believe God should bend over backwards for us. We believe that maybe what we did wasn't quite as bad as what they did. We believe we should receive the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God. But we want to look down our long noses when somebody else in need, a man of forgiveness, a man is getting the forgiveness of God. No, 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 sir. Let me tell you today, we all stand on even ground. I don't care what your mistake or your failure may be. If you ever known the Lord or you never known the Lord, we all all should be candidates of receiving forgiveness with our repentance. It matters not. It don't matter.
wish, I wish that maybe, amen, Asher. I wish that it would have been different. But somehow I deduce from chapter number four that perhaps it wasn't for Jonah. Let me tell you something just personally for me as I grow older. We all are. But as I get older and I hear or deal with the mistakes that people have made or make, you know what I do in those moments, Brother Fred McGee? I find myself recalling all the mistakes that I've made in my life, both public and private, that no one ever knew about, and then consider them in their episode in light of my own failures. We many times want to view people's failures without ever looking through the lens of our own failure. It's their thing. It's an isolated thing. And their thing might be different from my thing. But at the cross, it is all sin. It's all mistake. It's all failure. And we would do ourselves a favor if we could view other people's failures through the lens of the multitude of failures we've had, both publicly and privately, and consider what would God do because I know what he did for me, with me, what he extended to me. And some people might look up and say, well, he's an old jellyfish. He's an old softy. He needs the rod of judgment. Honey, my rod of judgment is trying to coax them back into a relationship with God. And if that's the mindset you have, you've forgotten the day you tripped up. You forgot where God pulled you from when he found you. If I look at people's failures and mistakes in light of knowing my own failures. And I want to deal with their faults, their faults in a manner that I've been dealt with from God. And how, and listen, God is gracious, God is kind, God is love. He will judge when necessary. He would much rather forgive. But how we respond to God, hear me clearly. How we respond to God will either lead to a hardening of the heart or it will lead to true repentance. Hear me very clearly. It's not like a multitude of, uh, of things here. It's either going to lead to a hardening of the heart or to true repentance. The Bible says in Romans 2 and verse number 1, this comes after Romans chapter number 1 where... People falling away from God. They're creating idols like nature. They're falling down and worshiping. They're doing things that are of not of natural affection. Just all kinds of stuff. The Bible says, Romans 2, verse number 1. Therefore, he says, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. Listen, I'm not. Listen, one of the, the phrase I hate most in the world is do not judge me because people really don't even know what they're talking about. They take Matthew 7 and such. They take Mark. They take it all out of context. But nonetheless... O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest does the same things. One, maybe they're identically the same. Number two, maybe it's of the same flavor. Sin, sin. But we are assured that judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that Judges them which do such things and does the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Look at verse 4. This is what I want to get at. Or despisest thou 
the riches of his goodness. Now look, so thou shalt thou shalt escape the judgment of God. And then it says, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering. It's an or, it's not an and. You see what I'm talking about? He said, what you receive from God to you will either be judgment of God or goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering of God. That comes down to whether you sense it as God using a rod of judgment on you with his warning or whether you take that warning as being God's mercy and grace to you. Someone hearing me right now? He says, is it going to, you can't escape judgment or despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering. I like this. Not knowing that the goodness of God if, my, if I may interject, the forbearance of God, the long-suffering of God, leadeth thee to repentance. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm saying today, folks. We go back to the Old Testament. We pull from a story that many are perhaps familiar with. Each successive plague of the ten upon Egypt in the Old Testament was an opportunity. Everybody say Opportunity was an opportunity for Pharaoh to change his mind. Amen. And repent. And he had many false starts. Right? Take it away and I'll let you go with your livestock and go worship the Lord. Next day, not doing it. Right? There were nine plagues. Before the death angel took the firstborn in the tenth plague. Let me even state it like this. There were a total of ten plagues before Pharaoh and his army was drowned in the Red Sea. Right? Now as outsiders sometimes, we look at all the plagues. Yeah, the plagues. He was judging Egypt. Judgment, judgment, judgment. But could I interject today? That what God was providing in the ten plagues was goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering because he went through the ten before he took their life in the sea. When the lice came, that was an opportunity for repentance. When the frogs came in their home and in their kitchen and in their bedrooms, that was an opportunity for repentance. Whenever the blood turned to water, that was an opportunity for repentance. But each time they had false starts, Pharaoh had false repentance. And every time, whenever he rejected an opportunity, what does the Bible say? His heart became hard. His heart became hard. Until finally, he's going headlong, following Israel as they are leaving Egypt, chasing after them, and he finds himself in a Red Sea, drowning in a Red Sea, and we might think, my goodness, God, you could have been merciful. God was merciful. Ten plagues back with each one was goodness and long-suffering. And Yes! Pharaoh couldn't say, well, he never gave me a chance. He gave you ten chances. I can't believe he'd take my whole army. Folks, when there were frogs in your beds and hailstones taking out your animals, that was his long-suffering. Someone say amen. 
You'll see the most of the plagues that came, yeah, they were major inconveniences. But a lot of them weren't a death sentence. I'd call that mercy. I'd call that long suffering. I'd call that forbearance. But again, instead of repenting, instead of changing his mind, Pharaoh hardened his heart. So it comes down to this. You either change your mind or harden your heart. But if you change your mind, he'll give you a new heart, a heart of flesh that he'll write his commandments and his laws upon that will be malleable and pliable in the hands of God that will follow the ebb and the flow of his spirit. But if you don't change your mind, you'll harden your heart. Amen. He hardened his heart to what was in reality. Listen. To what was in reality the generosity of God. The opportunity that God was giving him. He became Sister Roxana, calloused in many regards to the coaxing and the wooing that God was providing through the plagues. Pharaoh would not be able to stand someday and say, well, I was mishandled. I was misled. No, in reality, Pharaoh misunderstood what judgment and mercy really was. Our response to the storms, our response to the great fishes, our response to the strong messages of pending doom ought to be repentance. Ought to be repentance. We must understand these things for what they are. They are God's goodness. God's forbearance. God's, he's suffering long with us. He's been very patient. There are opportunities to change our mind. There are chances to change when change still can happen. Listen, it's not like the trump of God is going to sound and all of a sudden we're going to, oh, I'm going to change my mind then about things. I want to change my mind about how I lived the past 50 years of my life. It don't work like that. You had 50 years. Everyone being a year of long suffering and forbearance and goodness. You've had 50 years. Yeah, maybe you fell sick and maybe you had a horrible disease and all. You had 50 years. I'm praying for somebody today because I feel like we need the anointing oil of God's goodness to come down and touch a few hearts that may have been callous by their many rejections of God's opportunities he's extended to them. And we need some oil come down just like it does on an old hand, Brother Trout. After it gets callous, we get that lotion and we'll work it in there. And we're, What are we trying to do? We're trying to get those hard areas of our hand pliable again with the oil and that lotion to try to soften them up. And I believe there may be somebody here today that needs the oil of God's spirit to come down and just massage the hardness of your heart, amen, to be acceptable to the goodness, mercy, and long-suffering that God is extending to us so that we can change while there is still hope for change. 
Amen. Pharaoh misunderstood. He misunderstood. We can't escape judgment. We can't escape judgment. Pharaoh, in all the days of his life, would not be able to escape drowning in the Red Sea. If he had already refused the opportunity and the flies and the frogs and the hailstorm. And the, we can't, listen, here's why we can't escape judgment. Because we never took advantage of opportunity. You hear me? The reason why we're not going to be, be able to escape judgment is because we had a multitude of opportunities to do it before it ever gets there. And we won't be able to escape it because we chose to refuse Our escaping of judgment, Sister Margaret, is right now. This is what's afforded to us right now, the here and the now. Why there's breath still in, breath still in your lungs. As long as there's life, there's hope. Everything that goes on, I believe, in my life are just nudges and persuasions of God. To help me make the right choice. Change my mind. Turn, if you will. Someone say amen. Let's go on. More than just focusing on the message of Jonah in chapter number three. And you look at it. You know, the message, just a few little words that's spoken that Jonah spoke. More, though, in chapter three than focusing on the message of Jonah. Again, this chapter focuses on the response to the message, which was repentance. We don't put much focus on the message as much as they do the response to the message, which is repentance. No sooner had Jonah proclaimed the message than the Bible tells us that the people, you look at it in verse 5, that the people of Nineveh proclaimed a fast for everyone and animals and put on sackcloth on, any, on everyone and animals. He had no sooner said, I'm closing on the sermon, all right, that the altars filled up. Boy, I would like to have a Jonah chapter number three revival around the church where we focus more on our response than we do the message. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. They begin to respond. They got sackcloth and they put it upon their bodies. The Bible speaks of the king coming off his throne. He disrobed himself from the royal garments of his kingship and put on sackcloth and sat down in ashes. Sackcloth was a coarse material usually made of long, dark hair of goats or camels. It was made of the same material that grain bags or grain sacks, the sackcloths, grain sacks were made of. It had a coarse and itchy texture to it. If I bring it to your mind, it'd almost be like wearing burlap next to your skin. It was dark, it was dark hair, because it was often worn to express the sorrow that someone was going through that wore it. It was coarse. It was itchy. It was often worn to show the humility, the shame, and the discomfort that someone had over their sin. It was, yes, quite uncomfortable to wear. Again, when it was next to your skin in particular, sackcloth and ashes along with fasting were symbols of debasement and mourning and repentance. 
throughout God's word. If they had on sackcloth and they were in ashes, they may have been mourning over something, sorrowful over something, but they may have been mourning and sorrowful over what they had done. It may have been a frame of repentance. It was an outward sign of an inward condition. They had repentance going on on the inside and they were showing it on the outside through sackcloth and ashes as an outward sign of an inward condition. The Bible says in verse 5 in Nineveh, this took place from the greatest of them to the least of them. Here's just a little side note. What that tells me is repentance is for everyone. It doesn't matter the clout, the label, the profession, or let me state it like you. It doesn't matter how good we think we are. Repentance is good from the greatest even down to the least. Amen. It is not an office. There's not an office. There's not a row that exempts any of us from needing to repent. Not even a prophet like Jonah. He had to repent. Not even like the king of Nineveh. He got off his throne and disrobed his royalty and understood that he needed to repent. The Bible says the nobles, they repented. Everybody's put on sackcloth. Everybody's sitting in ashes. Amen. Even the common people are because it's the symbolism of their humility and their repentance. Sister Sheila, it was uncomfortable to have sackcloth. I don't know when's the last time you just put burlap up against your skin. Or just go find some grain bag that has grain in it somewhere at a, at a grain retailer that sells grain. Say, empty that out. I like to cut a hole in the top and two, two holes in the side and put it on for a garment. It's itchy. It's uncomfortable. Now, here's where we're far removed from the early church because we don't want repentance to be uncomfortable. We don't want repentance to be uncomfortable. We don't want it to get in our crawl. We want to be feeling good all along about what we're doing and never truly have to be sorry about what we did. Someone say glory. But it was uncomfortable. For that matter, it's not a walk in the park to go without food and water. Look at the scripture. It's not a walk in the park to go without food and water. Just think about the last time you fasted. You probably even drank water, but think about going without food and water for a few days. Uh The bread basket that's called your stomach is going to be talking to you. It's not comfortable. It's not pleasing. But the king said this is necessary. Someone said, am I doing all right? Listen, years ago, and this isn't this is Pentecostal. This, this is Methodist. This is a denomination overall. Years ago, years, years, and years ago, they had what they had. And men and women spoke from earlier times about a mourner's bench. Anybody ever heard about a mourner's bench? Years ago in the churches, there was called what was called a mourner's bench. It was also known as the anxious seat. Get this. It was a bench that was reserved in the church for people to mourn for their sins at. Repentance was made there. Speaking of the mourner's bench, Mark Shanice said this. He said, that wasn't meant to be done. Speaking of repentance and crying over your sins. He said, that wasn't meant to be done on a comfortable pew with a lot of cushions. This is not me. This is just someone from way back. 
He said it was supposed to be hard, not meaning that repentance was supposed to be hard, but the setting wasn't supposed to be comfortable. So it was supposed to be hard. He said the bench, he's describing it. He said it's plain. He said it's just made out of available wood, long planks. He said they didn't form it into a very nice looking piece of furniture. <laughs> he said it wasn't meant for that. He said it was meant to be the old rugged cross. Honey, when I think of that system, there's blood on it. There's old gnarly places on the wood. It's splintered somewhat, but you know what? It's effective for taking care of sin with what was taking place there. Honey, I don't need a cushion pew or carpet with extra pad under it. All I need is a place where I can get honest with God and say, God, here am I. I'm going to humble my... I, this is uncomfortable right now, God. He's saying that's all right, but at least you're taking advantage of my goodness, my long-suffering, my grace, my... Folks, whenever you think about that and you think about the scripture here, sackcloth, and you think about it being itchy and you think about all that in an hour when repentance is skipped over even in many churches. Oh, yeah. In an hour when it's hurried through because people want to get the converts to the baptismal waters. Listen, Facebook and everybody on Facebook, I'm preaching here today. And I don't care. Every apostolic church, Pentecost church needs to hear what I'm saying right now because there is an hour right now that we're in that we're trying to hurry through repentance. We're trying to hurry through. Let's get them into the water. Let's get them into the water. Honey, that water is not efficacious unless they've repented of their sins. You've got to repent and be baptized. Repentance is necessary. I'm telling you, we can't hurry through it. We need to spend some time at the mourner's bench. It's not popular to talk about sackcloth. It's not popular to talk about ashes. But it's necessary. You don't want to talk about fasting food and water. Outward signs of inward conditions of contrition. Let's hurry through it. And they come at the altar. Yeah, I've seen it time and time again. People come to the altar. They're crying. Snot's dripping off their nose. And they're really pouring out to God. And people's hurrying them through that. You know what? What is it that we as the church would be more uncomfortable with their repentance than they are? Oh, I don't want to feel bad that they're down there crying. Oh, God, look, there's snot hanging off their nose. Big deal. Let me tell you, some of us didn't care what it looked like when we made our mistake and what we were doing whenever we fell into our failure. Oh, someone hear me right now. Oh, God, I'm feeling a tiger here today. Hallelujah. We, we didn't care. You know, some people didn't care about, you know, the bed of fornication or adultery that they were laying in when they were caught. Oh, not worried about that. But you're worried about snot coming off your nose because you're asking God forgiveness for that sin. if my Bible still reads the same and it does that if there is still joy in heaven and among the presence of angels 
because someone repented and that's what it says there's joy in heaven and in the presence of angels because someone repented then I'm not too foolish to believe it's quite necessary and beneficial even for us in our culture and our generation the mandate of scripture still stands we repent or we perish there's not an alternative we gotta find that place before God yes God Peter even said it. he said God is long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance you understand what I'm saying his long suffering is for your repentance his forbearance is for your repentance his goodness is for your re- God's not loving you for you to remain as you are God's loving you for you to repent and have a change of mind of how you used to be Ironically, not only is the old mourner's bench also known, they knew it as a few different names. They called it the anxious seat. Another thing others called it was the mercy seat. See, it's all about viewpoint, isn't it? It's just back again to seeing it as judgment or as goodness. So others calling it the anxious seat. There's somebody else saying this is the mercy seat. And I've got good news for you today. The Bible tells in 1 Timothy 2 and 4 that God wants all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. And I reassure you this morning that any discomfort that we might feel in the moment of our repentance cannot compare with the immeasurable comfort that we will feel that follows that moment of repentance. I've heard it multiple ways. Feel like a load was lifted. Feel like a weight's been taken off. Feel so free. Feel at liberty. Just because of repentance. I'm going long here today. I'm sorry. From the king all the way down. From the king and Jonah all the way down to the beast of the field. Sackcloth was worn along with food and water being withdrawn. Even from the animals. It was prohibited. All wore sackcloth. All fasted. Animals included. Brother McGee, the animals? Yeah. What in the world did they do? Why were the animals included in this way, in this decree? (laughs) They were included. Listen to me. They were included so that everything around the people of Nineveh would keep their attention focused on repentance. Because if they could look out into their pastures and see their livestock covered with the same sackcloth they had on, they're going to be mindful about repentance. Hold on. What I'm saying is they couldn't even interact with their, ang- their animals, their source perhaps of wealth and livelihood without remembering. We're in a mode of repentance. Because sometimes people try to escape repentance by intermingling with stuff that will distract them from where their mind needs to be. But God says, I want everything in your life to be nothing more but another sign. To keep your attention put where your attention needs to be up on repentance. And when I look at my livestock, I'm going to see the sackcloth. Man, the, the sackcloth of repentance is draped across their shoulders. Amen. Normally, they had seen all these animals as their own sufficiency, what they had done, right? <laughs> but today, they're seeing it as their insufficiency, how they need to repent. Furthermore, these animals are going without water, they're going without food. Listen, folks, your stomach growls. You leave an animal without food and water for days. There's going to be some bellowing from the pins. 
and some bawling of an animal all day long because they don't have food or water. You know what that's continuously doing for those men and women of Nineveh? Again, it's reminding them about the morning of repentance, that there's some spiritual work that that hand that they needed to do. There's the oxen over there. There's lowing and bawling. Oh, God. God, I want to change my ways. He said, I'm going to have the whole landscape. Why? Because repentance couldn't be skipped over. Repentance couldn't be ignored. It had to be worked through. It was uncomfortable. Yes. Someone annoying. Yes. But when it's all said and done, repentance is rewarding because it is the avenue to forgiveness of sins. Stand with me. I'll try to. The idea in the later, in the latter verse of verse three is this. And you can see it there in verse number nine in particular. The Ninevites are kind of like this. They say, who can tell what God will do? I like this. They're saying we need to turn. That's what the king is even saying. We need to turn. Because who can tell what God will do? I like that. We, we, we have a change of mind to this. Because who can tell what God will do? The leadership of Nineveh was of the persuasion that if they turned which is another word for repented. If they turned, that God may turn. If we change our direction and our ways, God may change his mind concerning what he was going to do about us. The Tyndale Old Testament commentary, the English term that we use, repent, conveys the idea of a change of behavior from worse to better. But the Hebrew verb used for God repenting in verse number 10 refers to a decision to an act otherwise. In other words, it doesn't, it doesn't imply that his first action of destroying would have been inferior to the second. It's just that he makes a decision to act otherwise. Not that necessarily one was worse or one was better, but he just makes a decision to act otherwise. What are you saying? I'm saying according to verse number four. Jonah said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Another word for overthrown there in the Greek language is also meaning overturned. Nineveh would have been overturned. But God acted otherwise because they turned around. They made that about face. Amen. Even in their mind. Their first action that would have come against Nineveh, it had been valid, Sister Rhonda. It had been valid for God to overthrow them the way that they were conditioning their lives. Amen. It would have been invalid, just as valid as the second had they never changed their status. But God changed if you will, acted differently, acted otherwise, because they changed. The word overturned or overthrown in Scripture, and I'm hurrying, comes from the meaning of in the Old Testament times they had these flasks. Many times they were made out of horns. And as you know, the horn of an animal comes to that point. It's totally sealed off naturally by nature at one end. But if it's cut off, they would hollow out the inside. So it had a totally natural sealed part and it had another part that was open. It was used for uh, medicines and cosmetics and oils and none the word, nonetheless. But whenever this word overthrow, overturn comes from that flask because the contents were poured out or emptied only by the horn being overthrown or overturned. The overturning was the emptying of its contents. If I say it like this, God says, I'm going to overthrow you. Nineveh, I'm going to empty you of everything that you've ever had. I'm going to empty every content out of you. I'm just going to totally just suck you dry. 
The Bible says that they turned around. They repented. They humbled themselves. If you will, they emptied themselves. If you'll empty yourself, God won't have to empty you. And it's a much, it's a much favorable route for you to empty yourself than God have to do it for you. So God acted otherwise in response to the people's repentance. And here's the thing. It, it doesn't matter if you're Israel, the nation of Israel. It doesn't matter if you're the enemies of Israel like the Ninevites are. An over, a over, a turnaround can stop an overturn. Whether you're an enemy of God, a turnaround can stop an overturn. Whether you're the people of God, a turnaround can stop an overturn. It happened for Jonah. It happened for Nineveh. And good news this morning, it can happen for you too. Because who can tell what God will do with your life if you'd only just repent and turn around? If we bow our heads in this place this morning, I'm telling you, based upon the scripture of Jonah and God's word, who can tell what God could do if we turn our lives around? He can make a raving preacher out of a roaming prophet. He can make a humble people out of what was labeled a great, which meant prideful city. He can make even a Pentecostal preacher out of a pathetic apostle Peter that's denying and not even acknowledge the Lord. Because being overturned can absolutely stop at a turnaround called repentance. In our lives. Can we bow our heads today? You can lift your hands if you want to. Ladies and gentlemen, what has been spoken here today, and I hope with my spirit and my heart is this. This is not Pastor McGee up here being mean. This is not me up here just being all sorts of ugly today. Amen. This is just me up here today, and how you receive it is really a perspective. Do, do I, oh, just, 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 just knocking this, hitting this down with a rod of judgment. No, 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 no. What this is today is nothing more but the forbearance, the long-suffering, and the goodness of God. What is it? It's God providing an opportunity for us to change our minds. If you've ever made a failure, if you've ever made a mistake, God might set you back in a very similar setting to prove your repentance if you ever made a failure if you ever made a mistake at the word that the message was spoken the city of Nineveh responded with sackcloth and ashes and refraining from food and drink amen and I know all that is symbolic but what that means for us is they entered into a time of repentance a time of repentance before the Lord so much so that it had an impact upon God that God says, I'm going to, this is what I was going to do in their life. But now this is what I'm going to do based upon their repentance. Folks, God is long suffering to us word. It's not his will for any to perish, but that all would come to repentance. Hallelujah. Can we talk to the Lord all across this place? I know I've went low. Amen. This morning. Hallelujah. If you're making food in the oven, hopefully it's just a little crisper than what it normally is. But nonetheless, God, we come to you. I don't want to leave this service today without someone having an opportunity to repent. I don't want to leave this morning without someone having an opportunity for a change of mind. Hallelujah. Being overturned can stop at a turnaround in your life. Father, I come to you this morning. I pray, oh God, deal with our hearts and our minds and our souls today. God, we don't want to hurry through repentance. God, we don't want to skip over it. God, we don't want to, Lord, shrug it off 
because, Lord, in the moment, it does feel, Lord, uncomfortable. In the moment, God, it is, Lord Jesus. It, it, it does rub, Lord God, these old fleshly natures somewhat. But, God, the benefit, the payoff to them, Lord, is so great and so gracious. God, help me to understand the time that's been given to me upon this earth, Lord, is an opportunity. It is a gift that you have given us, Lord, in order to, Lord, order our steps aright. God, in order to allow that blood of Calvary to be applied to our life. In order, Lord Jesus, to be, Lord, a recipient of that gift, Lord, of your spirit. I pray, oh God, today, Lord, let me make my mistakes now, my blunders now, and help me, Lord, to find a mourner's bench of repentance, to call upon God that he would act otherwise on my behalf. Hallelujah, because I repented. I had a change of mind frame that ultimately affected my behavior and the way that I ordered my life. Oh God, today. Hallelujah. Every head bowed this morning. Hallelujah. If you just need to raise your hand and say, Pastor McGee, it's me this morning. I need to work through some areas and places of repentance today. You can raise your hand. Nobody else will see this morning, but maybe you just need by faith and confidence to be able to acknowledge, Brother McGee, that's me this morning. I need to find that sackcloth and those ashes. I need to find that place of repentance. I got some stuff to work through. I got some things I'm going to change my mind about. I'm looking for that mercy and that forbearance of God. God will meet you there, sir. God will meet you there, ma'am. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's so patient with us. He's so patient with us. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Hallelujah. Can we lift our voices one more time? Let us all pray that God would move upon those hands that were raised, that, that are working perhaps through modes or places of repentance in their own life. God, we call upon you this morning. We call upon that gracious Lord. We call upon that merciful God. Lord, come alongside those Lord that may be working, Lord God, through some situations of the past. That may be working, Lord God, through some situations. God, through some things. God, that are laying aside perhaps weight and sins that have easily beset them. God, they're finding you at a place of repentance. They're taking advantage of your long suffering and your patience toward them oh God touch their life today help them to find the strength of the Lord there Lord though it may be a moment of being uncomfortable God I pray oh Lord today there is an exceeding weight of glory God for us on the other side if we'll just work through this mode there is a refreshing on the back side of this there is a weight being lifted on the back side of this oh it's not your will for any of us to perish oh God oh God oh God oh God we cry out to you Lord you're ear is not heavy. God, that you cannot hear us. Your arm is not short that it cannot reach us. You can reach to where we are and you'll aid us and help us, God, in this leg of our journey. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Can the church say amen? Amen in Jesus' name tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Being turned over can stop at a turnaround in your life this morning. God bless you this morning in Jesus' name. Shake hands with our guests this morning today. Tell them how glad we are, amen, to have them. Amen. And service tonight, of course, is at 6 p.m. Come, amen, and be a part of the house of the Lord and the service this evening. God bless you in Jesus' name. Have a wonderful afternoon in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.